0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 as we're looking at (coughs) the words of the wise. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. That's verse 17, and it begins then 30 sayings that are collected here and placed in this collection, in this portion of the canonical book of Proverbs. We've seen words of the wise, number one, do not rob the poor. Words of the wise, number two, do not associate with the angry. And uh, I think we wrapped, well, we've well, we got a little bit more to wrap up on that. And then today we'll see if we can move on to words of the wise, number three, four, and 5 Let's see. How the Lord gets us through these particular verses. Before we do begin, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time and His Word. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning, thankful for your truth, rejoicing in the privilege and blessing that we have on this day to assemble together to receive instruction. Father, we thank you for the grace provision that makes this possible, for this facility that we meet in, for the freedom that we have to meet here without fear. Father, just thank you for your grace provision uh, each and every day. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I need to advance the slideshow. Usually I drop myself a little note so that I know what slide we're advancing to, but I failed to do that this time. And we've got a lot of slides. We've done a lot of work in this chapter already. All right. So last week we were looking at words of the wise. Number one: Do not rob the poor. Ultimately, of course, you don't want to rob anybody. You know, "Thou shalt not steal" applies universally to uh, rich, poor, everybody else. Um, But beyond the fundamental issue of stealing. is the victimization that takes place, particularly when you're using government, when you're using uh, the uh, perversion of justice and and uh, other systems in order to manipulate things to your advantage. So do not rob the poor because he is poor. Robbing and crushing is never right, even when hidden within legal and judicial proceedings. And so you can't justify your behavior just because you made it legal. You can't, it's still wrong in the absolute standard of of God's righteousness. And so using the color of law to hide your sin uh, doesn't change it from being sin. It's still stealing, it's still sin, it's still wrong. And we understand that when a culture is given over to that, such as we find in the book of Amos, look out. This means the nation is coming under discipline and you might find a a doctrinal famine applied to your land in short order because of that uh, terrible uh, circumstance within your land. God does personally champion the lowly, godly men and women will imitate God in this regard. We want to realize if God is their champion then we may have a role to play in that regard. We might be conduits of God's grace, we might be conduits of God's mercy, we might be able to, uh, to champion their cause if we're called to do so as a ministry, as a pursuit, as, uh, as a calling in life. Not everybody is given that calling and uh, that's not the role for every believer. But there is a valid place for that in the body of Christ. Words of the wise, number two, do not associate with the angry. And this gets us to verses 24 and 25 of our text. This is where we were last week. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. And uh, as is the case in many of these words of the wise, it's a do not prohibition. Uh, and there is a reason given there is a kind of a, a more unfolding explanation for if you do you know don't do this but if you do here's what you might expect or here's a consequence that may unfold so do not associate. What does it mean to associate? That's where we have to kind of get more precise with our exegesis and understanding of what's involved here. Does, that, does an association mean that you don't know the person? You don't talk to them? What does it mean? Well it's, it's a form of a friendship is what's spoken of here. And the language of friendship and the language of shepherding grabs my attention every time I come across it. So I want to pay attention to, uh, to what this vocabulary is dealing with. But completely forsake companion friendship with the chronically furious. I came up with a trio of CF expressions. Completely forsake is your first CF. Uh, companion friendship is your second CF. And uh, the chronically furious is your third CF in this. And if that helps you remember it, then it helps you remember it. Because the the angry man here is the is the chronically furious. He's always angry. He's never not angry. His soul is given over to this anger. It's descriptive of his existence. This is not just of course you know, the anger that every human being has on occasion from time to time or the anger we're supposed to have when, they, when we are sharing God's anger over certain issues. But no, this is the chronically furious whose soul is, is sold out to this kind of anger. And then the companion friendship that's being described here as well. The, uh, the verb ra'ah is a verb of shepherding but it's also a verb of, uh, of friendship. And uh, the Strong's number 7462 is given over to both verbs. I believe there's two separate verbs. I believe that the ra'ah verb actually comes from, uh, from two different connections in the Hebrew language whereby there is a ra'ah application that's a shepherding application and there's a ra'ah application that's a friendship application. But uh, James Strong went ahead and lumped them together and and combined them both in the same number, 7462. So you kind of got to, you know, um, divide that up for yourself and and put them in the appropriate bucket as you you explore this verb. Extra care must be taken for two separate word studies. The angry man is a Baal Af. He is a Baal Af when it comes down to it. He is the Lord of the Nostril, all right? Lord of the Nostril. And that's uh, it's a fun title to consider, and we can smirk and laugh a little bit because it's it's amusing in our modern language sense. Uh, but the nostrils are uh, are indicative of of fury. They're in the indicative if you're a, like a bull, a snorting bull that's just raging or uh, uh, huffing and puffing like the big bad wolf or whatnot. The uh, we have we have imagery in mind with the nostrils that flare and the nostrils that snort. And that's the Hebrew imagery related to wrath, related to anger in, uh, in this verse and in plenty of other passages. And then the Baal terminology for the Lord. you know, we, we see that everywhere there's contrast between Yahweh and Baal and the, the great conflict between, you know, with, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal and so forth. But this Lord of the nostril, He's also described as an Ish Chemoth. And a man of rages, where it is descriptive of his essence, descriptive of his very um, being. He is an ish chemoth, a man of rages. And so it is useful for us to consider that God Himself has slow nostrils, that He is erik apayim, He is slow to anger, and this is given to us again and again and again throughout the biblical record. Uh, Exodus 34, 6, for example... The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, that's the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, erik apayim, slow nostriled, okay, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. These are the characteristics that are totally absent the baal af or the, or the uh, Ish-chemoth. He has no grace, he has no compassion, he has no loving kindness and truth all he has is his nonstop rage. The, the, it 's like what we encounter in our culture with the uh, perpetually, um, the perpetually outraged. They are never content, no matter what you do, and you can apologize you can, and you can try to make amends. Nothing works because they are perpetually aggrieved, they are eternally offended, and uh, that 's the, that's the culture we live in, and so I hope we 're learning how to deal with it as we uh, keep ourselves in the love of God and uh, try to be compassionate and gracious and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And that's uh, what we deal with. So if you have somebody you know that is one of these bail afts, that is one of these ish chemos, you don't want to form the friendship with that person. Why would you? What possible rapport would you have with that? Why would you be his friend? Why would you foster that friendship? And why would you go where he goes? He's going to go places you don't want to go. So let him go. And uh, keep yourself in the love of God. That's the the impact on this here. All right. In the New Testament, this principle is presented as being unequally yoked. Unequally yoked. And I think fundamentally, 2 Corinthians 6, when when we see, uh, let me go back here to Proverbs um, 22, 24. do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. You're not journeying with that man, you're not traveling with him, you're not walking in his circles. Or you will learn his ways. It affects you. It rubs off. And the learning here, by the way, is another form of the, of the oof, uh, the, uh, the, the same noun that we have for anger there, the lf for learning. Yep, it's LF for learning. This is not classroom learning. This is not academic instruction. This is not, you're not sitting down with a Bible and a notebook taking notes about his temper tantrums and his wrath and his anger and all of that. You're learning by walking with him. You're learning by being his friend. And that's not good. <laughs> and then what you're really learning is, is if, if you do insist on having this kind of an association is you're learning not to be the object of that wrath, Right? Because you don't want him blowing up against you, you don't want him, uh, you know, his wrath to turn against you. So you're learning his ways, you're learning to placate him, to accommodate him, to, to uh, you know, to to feed his his wrath and make sure you're not the object. It's just a, it's a horrible way to live. Why do you want any part of that? You don't want to learn his ways, and that ends up you find a snare for yourself. And uh, sure enough, that's what it is. One well, of the New Testament standpoint, I think that a corollary to uh, Proverbs 22 is to be found in 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 16 which is the do not be unequally yoked. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And we have a string of descriptions that, that are um, useful because there's so many of them and we realize it's the same thing being said over and over again. And the, uh, the problem is, is that when you are unequally yoked then you're stuck, right? You're bound. You're connected to them. So in the sense of believers and unbelievers. What partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? So here's our contrast. Righteousness and lawlessness. You've got righteousness on the one hand, you've got lawlessness on the other hand. They don't mix. You don't link those. You don't marry those. You don't associate those. Okay? And there's lots of different associations and obviously marriage is one of them. You would never want to get married to an unbeliever. But beyond that there's also business associations, there's personal associations, there's, there's any number of things that would fall under the category of being unequally yoked if you are bound together. So there's righteousness and lawlessness. And then what fellowship has light with darkness? There's a second contrast. So the first contrast is righteousness and lawlessness, the second contrast is light with darkness. And it comes down to that, see? And and these are the distinctions that we draw. That that they are mutually exclusive. We don't try to blend them together. You can't have both at the same time. You can't link them together. The third contrast, Christ with Belial. Okay? I mean, it's getting pretty blunt, isn't it? Christ with Belial, when we have Baal-Aph and we have Ish-Chemosh, Why would I? Why would I have a partnership with Baal? Af when my Lord is is Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of hosts. So we have Christ and Bela, and then we have a believer with an unbeliever. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. These are the distinctions that we have. Okay, and we're not we're not drawing these distinctions so that we can be prideful or that we could, um, you know, be critical of others or or condemn them or, or do whatever. None of that. We're, we're drawing these distinctions so that we don't harm ourselves with unhealthy associations. So that we don't damage our own spiritual walk <clears throat> by walking in the darkness that's associated with that other side. It doesn't stop there. How many have we seen now? Um, righteousness and lawlessness, light with darkness, Christ with Belial, a believer with an unbeliever. Here's a fifth one, the temple of God with idols. The temple of God with idols. There's your fifth contrast. So there are five pairs that are contrasted here in this. I think this is very memorable. This is very lyrical. This is almost, uh, uh, you, this is probably a song that Paul was playing around with. Putting lyrics together in a way that could be, you know, uh, with a rhythm and, and, a, and a melody that could, be, uh, that could be sung and memorized in this. With these five contrasts. The temple of God with idols. And you think about, and and similar things, we were talking about physical health this morning and different things. Our bodies are a temple. But some people turn their body into an idol. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to, we don't want to. We're the temple of God. We're not, there's no association with idols. Anyway, other applications there. Now, besides the five pairings. There's five pairings that are contrasted. There's also five nouns that help us to define what it means to be unequally yoked. And so we go back to the top again and we we start looking at these nouns and we see, wait a minute, when it says do not be bound together, do not be unequally yoked, we notice the the nouns that, that come in between these pairings. There's partnership. Partnership is in between that first pairing there. Partnership. Well, what's that about? What's this partnership about? And then there's a second noun, fellowship. Okay, okay, I can say partnership and fellowship. They're similar. They're related. They're not synonymous. There's differences between them, similarities and differences between partnership and fellowship. But both of them are put in parallel to being unequally yoked any one of these would be considered an unequal yoke. Whether it's partnership or fellowship. Or, what's the third term? Harmony. Partnership, fellowship, harmony. If you're finding harmony with Belial, there's a problem. (laughs) Okay? If you're finding harmony with this baal af Ish, Chemoth, there's a problem. There shouldn't be any harmony there. There should be disharmony. There should be, um, you know, I mean, musically, harmony is, is is a sound that goes well with another sound, okay? Which means, you know, theoretically, you're you're in the same key somewhere, or maybe you know you've got maybe there's a there's a related key that goes with it, you know. Somebody's in one key and you you're in a related maybe in a related minor or something. But there are keys that are harmonious, and then there's keys that are just absolutely Uh, awful. (laughs) And, And you go, oh, yuck, that doesn't go with that. That's just hideous. It sounds awful. It is disharmonious. So we have partnership, fellowship, harmony. Then we have in common. In common. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Things in common. Things in common. We're going to ask ourselves this. What do we have in common? And if we have something in common, does that bother us? Okay? Does that bother us? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe if, it's, if we have it in common and it's a total coincidence well then who cares? But if we have it in common and it's not a total coincidence then I may want to start to evaluate. Why do I have this in common? Is this, something, is this a commonality I want to step away from? Different things. All right. Are we done yet? Partnership, fellowship, harmony, in common, that's only four. We had five pairings. Oh, there it is. Agreement. Agreement. There's our fifth expression. Agreement. And in all these things, and sometimes you can't agree. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree. Sometimes you have to say, you know what? It's just not how I see it. Because you're looking at life with, with, uh, with a worldly view, I'm looking at life with Scripture. So what agreement are we going to come to? Well, let's try to find common ground. The the truth cannot find common ground with a lie. So there can be no partnership, fellowship, harmony, commonality, agreement with Bios life associates who do not share our Zoe life association with Christ. So what it comes down to, we have to, whatever agreement there may be, Whatever commonality there may be, whatever partnership there may be, whatever harmony there may be, it's going to be highly, highly limited and my suspicion is it's not going to endure long term. Because the disharmony, the, the things not in common in, in our Zoe life and their lack of it <laughs> is going to, uh, is going to effectively bring that to an end. Okay. And I hope that makes sense. <coughs> Again, there's Bios life, there's Zoe life. I've been trying to stress this in several recent newsletters that we understand. Zoe is the life we receive when we believe in Jesus Christ. That nobody is born with Zoe. But you're born with BIOS. You, you have BIOS life. We have this secular, temporal, earthly existence that we all share on this planet. But, Zoe, the gift of God is Zoe, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you won't see life, but the wrath of God abides on you. So um, I think it's just so limited, and we're and we're commanded not to be unequally yoked. That's the key. So um, apply this then to social life, okay? Because social life is very frequently, it's a blend. Of Zoe' life and Bios life, depending on what kind of social life you're talking about, where you are, the places you're invited or the places you maybe you butt into uninvited—I don't know. <laughs> what, however, you do that in your social life. You know, can I sit down with an unbeliever and watch a ball game? Sure, I can watch a ball game with an unbeliever and whatever. Okay, um, and and maybe we'll we'll enjoy the ball game or we won't enjoy the ball game. Who knows if it's a good game or not, or what not. But in with respect to the conversations we have during that ball game, you know, if if I want if I want to talk about Proverbs or Philemon or Genesis or or you know spiritual things, and he has no interest in that whatsoever, you know, okay, is it fourth down yet? Well, you know, you just turn the conversation back to sports again, what have you, right? <coughs> Sit around talking about earthly things and because there's no frame of reference for anything spiritual. Alright. Well we'll let that go. Let's, uh, <gasps> okay, I'm shocked, but I shouldn't be. Let me double check. <laughs> Alright. That is an old slideshow. Stand by. When technology works, it works great. I thought I did this the other day. Obviously, not. All right, so let's try this again. See if this is the updated slideshow. Totally. All right. All right. So now, when we go to the next slide, it won't be blank. Ha (laughs) ha. All right. Thank you, Lord. Words of the Wise, number three. do not guarantee debts. Words of the wise number three, do not guarantee debts. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? First of all, if it's not your loan, why are you guaranteeing what this other person's doing? And who is this person? And why is he assuming this debt? Okay, now the Bible has a lot to say about debt and uh, much of it is not favorable, <laughs> right? But there is, uh, there is a place for investment and there is a place for wise and sound business practices but unsecured debt is not one of them. <laughs> okay? That gets, that gets uh, rejected again and again and again throughout Old Testament and New Testament alike. So do not be among those who give pledges. Among those who give pledges. So this seems to be a group effort. This seems to be a, a community thing. There's more than one going on here. In, in previous uh, versions of this verse it has been kind of singular in its focus. But this appears to have a crowd involved among those who give pledges. Is this your industry? Is this your, um, is this your racket? What are you doing? Why are you giving these pledge- pledges? What are, what are you getting out of it? What is your uh, benefit from this? Is this consistent or inconsistent with God's standard for Israel in their, in their Old Testament um, operations? Thoroughly Inconsistent with what God called for them to do. All right, so if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he, that's your creditor, or really it's the one that assumed the risk, why should he take your bed from under you? This person you're bailing out is stealing from you. Why are you securing his bad decisions? All right. From childhood, this principle is repeatedly given throughout adulthood. It started in Proverbs 6. It started in the parental wisdom portion of this book. It started with an appeal from a father to a son saying, don't do this. Proverbs 6 verses 1 through 5. And so serious is this that the command is then to get out of it no matter what. No matter the price you pay to get out of it, pay that price and get out of it now. There's an urgency with this rescue. All right, my son. And I forget how long ago this was. We we can, um, I don't know if you ever do this or not, but go back, go to the church website, look at Proverbs. Look at parental wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. And just remind yourself all right, this was this was back in August of 2015. August of 2015 when we taught this chapter, all right? So over 6 years ago, right? Goodness. You may be excused if you don't remember <laughs> if you slept since then and maybe you've uh, lost track of some of these details. starting in childhood this principle is repeatedly given my son if you have become surety for your neighbor in other words you are the guarantor he didn't have any collateral but he had you (laughs) and so he's trying to borrow money for something why is he trying to borrow money and and some maybe the why doesn't matter but you know you got to ask yourself if he doesn't have it why does he need it what's he doing and what risk is he taking for something he's doing? And why does he need you? All legitimate questions to ask. Because fundamentally, if he's functioning biblically, if he's functioning properly as a Jewish believer under Mosaic law in the nation of Israel, then is he, is he, is he undertaking a business venture? Well he should be doing that with his, with his clan, with his tribe, with his, with his, uh, with his uh, family members. Why is he involving you in this? What are you getting out of this? What kind of deal is this? It doesn't sound like it's legitimate. Why is he coming to me? There's structures in place for this. Anyway, so you've become surety for your neighbor. You've given your pledge for a stranger. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth and have been caught with the words of your mouth. See, here's the thing. Buyer's remorse, right? You're, you know, you're, you're regretting the choice that you made. How long does that take? Well, it kind of depends on how dumb the choice was. <laughs> you know? The, depending on what car you drove off the lot, you get a block away and you realize, I can't afford a Lamborghini. What am I doing? You know? So you've been snared. You've been caught. Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. We talked on Sunday about Noah's ark when God said, Noah, build for yourself an ark. Understand how rare this language is. Understand that this flies in the face of the normal biblical theology that says you cannot save yourself. None of us can save ourselves eternally from a lake of fire, right? We're all sinners. The Bible makes it clear over and over again that there is no human being that can ever save themselves. So when He uses language like save yourself, (laughs) that gets your attention. And you stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself, importune your neighbor. You are in a bad place and you put yourself there. You should not have made that terrible decision. So your answer now is not fun, it's not pleasant, it's humiliating. You've got to start begging. And, and nobody likes to beg. You know, your pride is gonna be hurt, and it's it's you know, oh well, can't help, you know. This is where you are now. So go humble yourself, importune your neighbor, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Don't rest, don't sleep. You're going to fix this today. You're not going to go to bed tonight until this is resolved. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. That's how serious it is. You have been caught. And animals that are caught, you know, assuming they're still alive, they're caught and they're not going to be alive very much longer. They're going to be food very shortly. that's you right now because you became guarantor for another. And why did you do that? Why did you do that? So go to the antoslugger sluggard, observe her ways and be wise. And this takes you into a separate issue but they're, 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 they're related. One's a foolish practice, become a guarantor for another and this is a smart practice to be industrious, to be diligent. We're going to see principles of diligence here in uh, a couple more words of the wise. So that's the first introduction to this principle, and it comes as um, as a child. It begins with, my son. This is parental wisdom. This is parental wisdom on the part of parents grounding their children in these economic principles before they ever leave home. they ever leave home. Why are you guaranteeing His choices? And even if they're not dumb choices they're still not your choices, why are you guaranteeing their choices? You have no business guaranteeing their choices. You're in this family. You're in this household. You're in this family clan, tribe, and nation. All right. it comes back again and again and again throughout adulthood when we get to the personal and uh, public portion of the book, the section from chapter 10 to chapter 24 that we call personal and public wisdom. Now you've got a son who who is an adult. He's a man who stands in his culture. He stands in his community. He stands before the Lord. He either stands or falls whether he's living wisdom or not. And here it says, he Who is guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it. But he who hates being a guarantor is secure. (laughs) All right. Described in this way, in a love hate kind of way. He who is a guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it. Suffering by association. Your role in guaranteeing this person's debt. Why are you doing that? Suffering is on the way. If you hate being a guarantor, there you go, you should hate it. Because it's contrary to the will of God. I hate anything that's contrary to the will of God. I hate any lifestyle choices that that are in open defiance of Scripture. You're not going to suffer, you'll be secure. There's the contrast. You want to suffer, you don't want to be secure. So there's how it's presented in chapter 11. How's it presented in chapter 17? A man lacking sense pledges And becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. A man lacking sense. This is the idiom we've seen many times as it relates to a heart deficiency. You have a diminished lave or lavav. You have a diminished heart. The core of your being is diminished. And I think this is what happens when you're living your, your, your Zoe life consistently in defiance of doctrine. In defiance of the Word of God. There is soul damage that happens the longer you insist on defying biblical standards. So you're making these pledges. You're you're in a sense standing before this fallen world and saying, I will. (laughs) I will. If you're going to say, I will repay, you better understand what that sacrificial love is all about. we got that coming up as well in Philemon when Paul says, whatever he owes you I will repay. All right. Becoming a guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. All right. That's chapter 17. Chapter 20. Take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger, and for foreigners, hold him in pledge. These are the consequences. And, you know, it's it's curious. um, You know, when you make. poor decisions, and the Bible says you reap what you sow, when you make poor choices and you face those consequences, that's one thing. But if you expect somebody else to face consequences for your wrong choices what are you doing? And in the, in the ancient world, I mean we don't have the structures that. and I'm not advocating we do this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble now. Biblically speaking, in an Old Testament, in the theocracy of Israel under Mosaic Law, the the provision for absolute destitution is slavery. You no longer own yourself. You are so irresponsible for your possessions that you become a possession. Ideally, of course, uh, And and the Greeks would say that that's all you're suited for, that that that's your nature by birth, that you're suited to that position. And and of course the Greeks are wrong. Biblically speaking, that only occurs for a season and then your slave owner, who's probably a a clan or a tribal prince or somebody of means, the Boaz in your clan who has the means to redeem you, you become His possession. He now owns you. And you're going to learn by example, you're going to see how He operates with His possessions so that in seven years when He frees you in a jubilee, He's going to free you in the seventh year of release. Now, hopefully you've got the doctrine and the wisdom to emulate that example. And you've got a fresh start. Or not. There, there are some that choose to voluntarily become a lifelong slave at that point of his release. In which case he pounds a nail through his ear and he uh, takes the earring and he becomes a lifelong slave of that master. And it becomes a love relationship in that slavery reality. Anyway. <laughs> Talking Old Testament now, I'm not advocating that we bring that back or that we somehow institute um, institute that in in twenty first century America, I want to be very clear <laughs> i 'm not advocating we We did away with debt imprisonment years ago, except um, it still is maintained today in the in the form of um, child support and alimony but other than that you you can never be imprisoned for your debts in uh, typical cases all right so that 's proverbs twenty again. The passage we're looking at today is verses 26 and 27 of Proverbs 22. Do not be among those. <clears throat> and this might, um, this might become an issue then. So all the ones we've seen before have been very individual. They've been very personal. They've been kind of single, single um, person or single party business deals. But this appears to be uh, to have a multiplicity to it. There seems to be more than one person involved. To be among those. And so now you have to consider, well what happens now if this becomes widespread, this becomes normal in your culture, this is constantly done, this is a, a typical business practice, it's, it's, it's being done all the time. That doesn't make it right for you to do it. And then also if, if there are multiple people that have to underwrite this endeavor, why? What is your profit? What is your gain? What's going on in this? Okay? Okay. And you really have to evaluate this. In any event, giving a pledge, becoming a guarantor for debts, if you have nothing with which to pay, what are you really doing? Now, this is not capitalism. This is not where you are buying in, where you are contributing to the joint venture. That's a different animal altogether. Anyway, why should he take your bed from under? Do you understand what you're going to lose? This is all risk and no gain. What, what are you doing in that venture? In, in, that, in that venture all you're doing is underwriting sin. That's all you're doing in that venture. That's imitation of Satan, not imitation of God the Father. All right. Job begged for the Lord to become his guarantor when he despaired of any human understanding. And I think it's interesting that the book of Job uses this, uses this language of debt and guarantor and Job is appropriately trying to take all of his earthly sufferings and trying to keep you know, turning discussions back to the Lord again. And I'm not quite sure that he's on target with this at this point but at least he's far beyond what his three friends are doing. <laughs> his three friends are blaming him for all the, the evil that's coming upon him. But Job uses this language of debt and guarantor and throws it to the Lord in this circumstance. And it's it's curious to me. And every time I come back to the book of Job I wonder goodness, are we going to, can we take this as a book study some point? Maybe after Genesis is over at some point. When can we make Job our, our Sunday morning message and spend spend five years in the book of Job? Wouldn't that be awesome? But in Job 17, it's a continuation of Job's defense. It's useful if you outline the book of Job and, and track. So there's, there's, there's the first round with each accuser, three of them, and Job has an answer for all three of them. And then there's a second round, again three of them, and Job answers each one in turn. And then there's a third round with only two of the accusers. I think, I think um, Zophar gives up. <laughs> I think. Build that in Eliphaz. They they try all three times, but the third one just gives up and, and does not say anything in that third round. Um anyway, the 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 outline and the structure of the book of Job is amazing. But um in this chapter, this is one of Job's defenses. My spirit is broken, my days are extinguished, the grave is ready for me. So as far as he's concerned, He might as well just die now. He's ready. The grave's ready for him. He's ready for the grave. What's the point in sticking around? Surely mockers are with me and my eye gazes on their provocation. These three knuckleheads showed up supposedly to encourage him and all they've been doing the whole time is just mocking him and provoking him. Everything they say is mocking provocation. Lay down now a pledge for me with yourself. Who is there that will be my guarantor? And this is curious to me because he's totally giving up. He's washing his hands. He is in utter despair of life. He hates these three guys that have shown up just to mock him and condemn him. But he takes it back to the Lord again and he's barking these orders at the Lord. Lay down now a pledge for me with yourself. Who is there that will be my guarantor? For you, and he's using this language now it's interesting to me, he says you blaming God for this, have kept their heart from understanding therefore you will not exalt them. Talking about these accusers, right? He who, They're all just blithering idiots, they're ignorant, they don't know what they're talking about And he's blaming God for keeping them from knowing what they're talking about. That they're ignorant and God's kept them that way. He who informs against friends for a share of the spoil, the eyes of his children also will languish. Now you start to get suspicious. Now you start, and it's and we're all vulnerable to this because we're human, right? We're all vulnerable. We have finite understanding. All we know is right now our soul is in anguish, our spirits are broken. And it seems like the people who should be encouraging us are betraying us. And it seems like God isn't helping matters, right? And we start to wonder, you can't help but wonder, I think it's normal to wonder. <laughs> if all of this is happening, you know, if everybody is out to get me, does that mean I'm paranoid? What does that mean? Well, I'm not paranoid if it's true, if they're all out to get me, so what does this mean? And then I start to wonder, this is so unbelievable. All three of these guys can't all be equally wrong and spectacularly wrong, but they are. Now I'm starting to wonder, It sounds to me like there's some kind of conspiracy going on. It seems to me like there's an informant. It seems to me like he who informs against friends, wait a minute. There's something else going on. And who can he suspect? His kids are all dead, his servants have all fled, his associates are all gone. (laughs) Basically the only one left in the human realm is his wife. (laughs) And maybe, you know, once you've ruled out all the other suspects, I guess it's got to be her. Or it's God himself. It's God himself. This is why you're not guaranteeing. This is why you're not the guarantor. This is why you're not um, because you're on the other side. You're in on this. And you're informing against friends for a share of the spoil. Oh. 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 Wait a minute. What happens if the person who agreed to be your guarantor is actually in cahoots with, uh, with the other side? So he's not your guarantor. He's actually on board with the, the whole operation to, 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 to steal from you, to take like, everything you've got. You have been set up to fail, and that guarantor is in on it. He's getting his cut. Anyway, and it goes on, this this whole chapter is remarkable. He has made me a byword of the people. <laughs> when your name becomes a byword, when uh, you know, oh man. You don't you know, don't be a bolander. What does that mean? When your name becomes a byword. You know, whatever you do, don't become a pastor bob. Well, that's you know, if your name is a byword in the negative sense, that's horrible. You want, you want your name to be a proverb in the positive sense. You know, I want to be a John Gill because John Gill, his name became a, a proverb that uh, you could uh, put your hand on a Bible and raise your hand and, and you would swear that something was true and it was just as true as John Gill is in his study. And that oath was accepted in courts in London because it's just as true as John Gill is in his study. Man! Praise God! What a reputation! What a what a your name becomes a proverb at that point in a positive way, not a byword in a negative way. I am one at whom men spit when the name is mentioned, right? Because of just the utter derision, the utter disgust. You know, oh, here comes so and so. Oh, okay, and then you end up with football stadiums all chanting, you know, uh, uh, vulgarity against the president. Your name becomes a byword. I am one at whom men spit. Oh yeah, you know Job. My eye has also grown dim because of grief and all my members are as a shadow. The upright will be appalled at this and the innocent will stir up himself against the godless. Nevertheless the righteous will hold to his way and he who has clean hands will grow stronger and stronger. But come again, all of you now, bring it. (laughs) Come again, all of you now, for I do not find a wise man among you. Keep trying, try again. My days are past, my plans are torn apart, even the wishes of my heart they make night into day, saying the light is near in the presence of darkness. If I look for Sheol as my home, if I make my bed in the darkness, if I call to the pit, you are my father. If I call to the worm, my mother and my sister. Where now is my hope? And who regards my hope? Will it go down with me to Sheol? Shall we together go down into the dust? Okay, let's go. It's such an amazing lament. Such an amazing lament. And and he's as carnal as the day is long as he voices these things. But it 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 really, I think, remarkably speaks to humanity and what we experience when These judgmental legalists show up to tear us down even more. Will it go down with me to Sheol? Shall we together go down into the dust? We need This could be a song, couldn't it? We should rewrite, we'll, we'll use the same melody for shall we gather at the river, right? But instead of shall we gather at the river, let's just go to hell, right? Shall we go down to Sheol? Shall we together go down into the dust? (laughs) <laughs> all right. So Doug, work on that if you would. Let's. <laughs> you're, you're the songwriter here. Anyway. You know, it's curious though, in all of these passages, and when you search the Scriptures and you examine what it means to be a guarantor, and then you realize, that's what Jesus did. He paid my price. He paid my debt. And the biggest thing, I think, when you're defiant against God and you decide to imitate Satan and you become a, a, a guarantor in the, in the wrong way is beyond just being a stupid financial decision. You're actually living out a blasphemous um, rejection of the beauty of Jesus Christ and what He did for our sake. If you, if you really think of it in those terms. Something else. All right. Here's another con- uh, consequence. Becoming a guarantor ruins the possibility of providing via grace. Becoming a guarantor ruins the possibility of providing via grace. So if somebody comes to me and says, you know, can you, uh, I want you to to uh, guarantee my debt. I want you to... Uh, to do this. You know, wouldn't it be a better thing if I just in grace give you what you need? (laughs) You know? Isn't that a better opportunity? To just be a provision of grace. And say, you want me to sign for this debt? How about if I just give you what you need? Yeah. Luke 10.35 and Philemon 18 and 19. I think um, we've got principles there as well. You know, the the man and the the good Samaritan here and the man that he rescued and he bandaged up his wounds, he poured oil and wine on them, put them in his own beast, brought them to the inn, took care of them. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend... When I return, I will repay you. This is grace in action. He's not—he's not putting the, the 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 sick guy under an obligation. He's not underwriting somebody else's debt. He's—he's he's spending. He's putting this cash up front and promising more as necessary. Whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. This is a grace approach to a man that doesn't earn it, doesn't deserve it, can't pay it back. Or if he can, he doesn't know if he can. It's not an issue for him. How about Philemon? Talking to Philemon about Onesimus, the runaway slave, and Paul says, if Onesimus has wronged you in any way, or if Onesimus owes you anything... And of course he has the whole story, he knows what it is, he's just not mentioning the amount. But if this is the case if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. Take that debt out of your ledger book and instead of applying it to him, apply it to me. Charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, I will repay it. I will repay. And fundamentally, this is in grace. Does Onesimus deserve this? Is is Paul becoming a guarantor so that Onesimus can, over time, possibly pay this back someday? No. Paul's not a guarantor of anything. He's just clearing the table right here, right now. He'll pay it off right now. He'll zero that account off right now. Not to mention to, that you owe me even your own self as well. <laughs> Not to mention, of course, the things that go without saying. When you say them, there's a reason. Okay. Not to mention, you owe me even your own self as well. You know, and if you start to think in terms of the spiritual debt, when you start to think in terms of the ministry, you start to think about um, and I told Ralph this uh when I was up there visiting with Ralph, you know what do I owe Pastor Ralph Braun? oh my goodness i can 't begin to even list everything and uh from i mean everything in in doctrine and teaching and training and in, in um even threw a wife into the to you know <laughs> introduce me to Sharon. I understand he didn't do that with all the seminary men that he trained, but um anyway, and then with with all of that in view and um you know uh, of course in my visit with him and whatever do you think i'm going to let him pay for a meal not one not one not ever <laughs> i said ralph i can't buy you 100,000 meals between now and glory there's there's just no way but every meal every lunch every breakfast every dinner every you know i i can't buy him enough meals that's just in the That's just dollars in in earthly terms. I mean, what's that? For the eternal value. And so when Paul is telling Philemon this, you owe me your own self as well, we have the indication here that Paul was not only the evangelist that led Onesimus to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but he was the evangelist that led Philemon to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ way back in the day, whenever, wherever that took place. We have no idea. Paul's never been to Colossae, so clearly it would have been somewhere else wherever it might have been. <clears throat> so that's the problem. I think becoming a guarantor ruins the possibility of providing via grace. It's much better to provide via grace in trying to manipulate things through some kind of a debt structure and, and manipulation in, uh, in different schemes. <coughs> Right, words of the wise number four. When we come back next week we'll have words of the wise number four and number five. Do not move the ancient boundary and observe the opposite of obscurity. (coughs) Verse 28, and so far each of these have been two verses long. 22 and 23 was, was a unit, 24 and 25 was a unit, 26 and 27 was a unit. So those were the first three of the words of the wise were each two verses long. But then we have a single verse, <clears throat> words of the wise number 4 is just one verse by itself and words of the wise number 5 is just one verse by itself. And, uh, and that gets us to the end of chapter 22. So next week we can, uh, we can plug through those. Father I thank You for Your truth, I thank You for Your faithfulness, I thank You for the wisdom that You supply. And I thank You Father that we glean principles that are Zoe life principles but they have so many Bios life applications. I pray, Father, that we would keep our Zoe life and our Bios life distinct but that we always, always base our Bios life decisions over what we know to be true in the Zoe life applications. We thank you Father and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.